Hey, Julie. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Well, thank you. Uh, welcome to another episode of That's Probably How It Happened. That's Probably How It Happened. Welcome you. Thank you. Welcome to all of our seven listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we can name them. There's Bobby and there's Cindy and the other Brady's. Um, do you have someone else you'd like to welcome? Yes, I'm very uh, pleased to welcome our special guest today, who is Nisha Coleman. Hello. Ooh. Nisha's coming to us all the way from Canada. Hello, seven listeners. <laughs> <laughs> We've never had a, a guest storyteller from Canada before. Ooh, that's exciting. Yes, can I tell us a little bit about Nisha, because she's very accomplished. Yes, please. So Nisha Coleman is a storyteller and author who's performed and taught at events throughout North America. Her storytelling show, Self-Exile, won Best English Production at the Montreal Fringe and the Award for Excellence at the Sarasolo Fringe, I mean, Festival in Sarasota, Florida, Sarasolo. Her work has been featured on the Moth Radio Hour and Risk, CBC and PBS. And she has a memoir, Busker, Stories from the Streets of Paris, which was published in 2016. So welcome. And Nisha was recently on my Story Slam Oakland show, Cats and Dogs. So welcome, I'm very Nisha. excited. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That is an impressive bio. I have done exactly zero of those things. Ah, and yet here you are. <laughs> yeah, <you're right>. yeah. <laughs> Hosting a show. The, the podcast that brings us all together, the accomplished and the unaccomplished. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually try to reverse engineer some sort of theme after the fact. Um, what would you say the theme of your story today will be, Nisha? Um, the inconceivable. The inconceivable. Nice. Appropriate. Timely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Everything this year is inconceivable. Julie, what's your, what's your theme going to be? Screwed. Screwed. Mm. Nice. That's kind of the theme of mine as well. Mine's kind of screwed. Amazing. Mm. I have lots of those stories. <laughs> screwed. <laughs> All right. Next time. Yeah, next time. All right. We need to figure out who's going to go first. We usually do rock, scissors, paper for this. So on so, the count of three. Okay. Ready? I'm ready. One, two, three. <laughs> we're all we rock. rocks all do it rock. again okay. all right we rock okay ready <laughs> on here we three. go one two three. Oh. All right. you're out julie all right two rocks and a scissors i was the scissors i on got three. smashed one one two, two three three i knew it <laughs> they're all this rocks again all right on three okay okay you can't pick a rock Okay. Oh, we can pick a rock. All right, on three. One, two, three. Ah! Oh. Okay. Nisha had paper. Mike had scissors. That means Nisha gets cut up by the scissors, so she loses. I, I think it means I go first, Nisha goes second, and you are the caboose, Julie. Okay. Listeners, all seven of you, please listen all the way through because my story <laughs> is really good. I don't know about these other two jokers, but my story is a good one. All right, the, the tale of Screwed. You ready? Yes. I'm ready too. Yes. So about 20 years ago, my wife gave birth to our daughter, a beautiful baby girl named Parker. We were really excited and we learned so much so fast. 
like I learned that I suck at babies. Uh, there is a lot of crying. They do not listen to my excellent arguments. And the whole diaper thing is ridiculous. Now, I was counting down the days until I could have a normal conversation with Parker and just ask her, hey, why are you crying all the time? She actually did have a condition that was diagnosed by the doctor called colic, which is a made-up word that doctors use when they have no idea why your baby cries all the time. So that first year sucked really hard, but each year got better. As the years went on, she'd go out of this, and she's moved further away from babyhood and closer and closer into being an actual human. And then one day when she was maybe nine years old, she came to us and she asked us for a sibling, specifically a baby sister. And I could not say no fast enough to having another baby. But then she, <laughs> offered, she offered an alternative, a cat. Ah. Oh. Now note that I am very, very allergic to cats. I literally start to wheeze and get covered in hives when I interact with cats. So this mm -hmm. choice between giving my daughter a sibling or a cat, like that was my Sophie's choice. <laughs> but although science could not cure colic, apparently it could fix cats. I had been following a company called Alerca, which through selective breeding and genetic testing had produced the world's first hypoallergenic cat. They were featured on the Today Show. They're written up in Time Magazine as an invention of the year. The only problem was these cats cost eight thousand dollars oh my god i am not a professionally trained cat appraiser but i am pretty <laughs> sure the proper price for a cat is about eight thousand dollars less than that <laughs> but my wife was undeterred and she emailed the company alerca and she told them of our cat woes and asked them to contact us if they ever had a half price sale har 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 <laughs> turns out har 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 the salesman simon wrote us back and said that we had emailed him at the exact right moment. He actually had a cat that he was trying to place with the family, but the family was moving at the time and couldn't take possession of the cat. So if he wanted, he would send the cat to us for half price. Now, I realize that $4,000 is still a stupid price to pay for a cat, but it was half off. And with my allergies, this was the only way I was ever going to be able to own a cat. And this was the only thing that was going to get me out of this whole have another baby thing. <laughs> so we talked about it with the family. We decided it would be our Christmas present to each other for that year. And we pulled the $4,000 trigger. And all of a sudden, things moved very, very quickly. There were forms to fill out, litter boxes to buy, money to wire, books to read. And then Simon told us that our cat was going to be flown out in two weeks. And my daughter was over the moon. And I was thrilled I got out of having another kid. And we were all ready for the big day. And the day got postponed. And then it got postponed again. And then the third time it got postponed, I, I went back to my computer and I, and I Googled Alerca again, the company. And this time I added the word scam to my query. Uh oh, And I got a whole bunch of hits. Mm -mm -mm. Alerca stole my money. I never got my cat. Simon is a thief. <gasps> oh, mm. fuck me. I wired $4,000 to some random dude on the internet for a hypoallergenic, <laughs> hypothetical cat. You got cat scanned. I got cat scammed. <laughs> so I learned everything I could about the Simon guy. I found out that Alerca was just his most recent in a long line of scammy businesses. He'd already been jailed once in the United Kingdom for some fraudulent accounting business. His other scam that he was running was selling high-end skis online for $19,000. 
His whole MO was to make up some fake luxury product and sell it to suckers with just enough disposable income. And apparently in the Venn diagram of suckers and just enough disposable income, that's where I live. So my wife and I, we tried very hard to get a refund. We'd leave Simon emails and voicemails and we'd do this sad cop, angry cop shtick, but nothing, no dice, he ghosted us. So I filed complaints with the FBI and with the Better Business Bureau. I reached out to the Today Show and Time Magazine asking them to do a follow-up. I called lawyers and researched the possibility of a lawsuit. And then because I am a tough guy, I did the most hardcore thing I could think of. I started a blog. <laughs> Alerkascam.blogspot.com. I wrote up my story and asked other people who'd been ripped off to contact me and maybe join a class action suit. I documented everything I could find about Simon. And people started to contact me, dozens of them. Some of them wrote and said, oh my God, I was about to send Simon thousands of dollars and then I found your blog, thank you so much. Mm. And then the internet detective started to weigh in with information about Simon and where he was living. Someone spotted him in London and sent me a picture. I saw him <laughs> at a music festival. He was wearing a hat, but he got away. <laughs> oh my God, so close, the wily hat. And then one day my wife, my wife goes to work and she worked at a small search engine company and she walks to her desk and there's an envelope sitting on her desk with no return address, no stamp. And she opens it up and there's a sheet of paper inside and it's got Simon's name and an address in Vancouver, Canada. Oh no. Who left this? How did they get to her desk? And what do I do with it? Do I fly to, to Vancouver and find him and just nag him? What, what do I do with it? <laughs> And then Inside Edition, that cheesy news infotainment show, they contacted me. They are not much of a news show, but they sent a very nice reporter, Lisa Guerrero, to my house to interview me. And if I was willing, I was going to be the public face of people stupid enough to wire $4,000 for a cat. <laughs> I figured, I mean, I was already in. If you Google, even to this day, Mike sell a cat, you find a bunch of articles and write-ups. So I figured, sure, might as well go all the way. Might as well be the TV face of this. So they interviewed me, and their next step was actually to track down Simon, which they were unable to do because they're inside edition. But then, <laughs> but then Nightline contacted me, and they seemed Ooh. like they have a little more journalistic uh, gravitas. So they came through my house, and we did the whole interview thing all over again. And their next step was to order a cat from Alerca, and they <gasps> do. And Simon sends them a picture of the cat they're going to get, and they do a reverse image search on this picture to see where the picture came from. And it didn't come from some special Alerca lab. It came from a Craigslist ad for some lady was just trying to get rid of a bunch of cats. <laughs> and then Simon actually ships them the cat. And they have it tested. They what? bring it to a lab. And it's not a magical hyperallergenic cat. It's just, you know, a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and then they find Simon. They track him down and they confront him on camera with all the evidence. And he admits on TV that, yeah, yeah, there's no magic. They're just cats. <gasps> and I'm watching this from my living room, this news program. And it is deeply satisfying to hear him say that. A few months later, all of his websites are gone. The $19,000 skis, the hyperallergenics cats, all of it. And his whole presence from the internet is gone. I still do not have my $4,000 or my magical cat, but I know I cost that bastard more money than he cost me. Unfortunately, <laughs> the only problem is that I may still owe Parker that baby sister. 
<laughs> now that she's 20. <laughs> now that she's 21, she probably no longer wants it because she would be in charge of changing the diapers. So maybe it's all for the best. Good oh, story, man. Mike. Yeah. And... Whoa, so he was Canadian. Those Canadians, bad news. Don't trust him. <laughs> he moved around a lot. Like when they finally caught him, he was in London. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, he was hiding out in Vancouver, Canada for a while. I think uh, he's an international man of mystery. There you go. But you didn't get a cat. I mean, he could have sent you just a normal cat. He could have, which would have been even worse, really. Like to spend yeah. four thousand dollars and then get a cat and then be like very Stuck allergic with to the it. Cat, yeah. And then what do I do with it, right? Yeah, like I yeah. bring it to a shelter. I don't want to do that. Or do I just suffer through hives and not being able to breathe for the rest of my life? And your daughter would be so disappointed to receive the cat and then have to get rid of it. Yeah, that would have actually been worse. So thank you. I think Simon. you. Yeah, I think you dodged a bullet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did dodge a bullet, but it would have been nice to not pay four thousand dollars to have to dodge that bullet. That That's an been expensive nice. bullet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here I thought you were a smart guy, Mike. Uh, no, as it turns out, I am not a smart man. But wow, I, I should have googled you before this interview. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, if you Google, if you put the word "cat" on it, you would have known all this already. So. Yeah. All right, Nisha, you want to tell us a little story? I do. I would like to hear a little story. All right, here we go. So it is the summer before my last year of university. And I'm studying uh, music, violin to be more specific. I'm studying music because I can't imagine not playing the violin. But I'm also studying psychology. And I'm studying psychology because I think that I can outrun mental illness just by studying it. So those are my majors. And it's my last summer, really, before graduation, and I'm a bit antsy. I'm kind of desperate for, like, a mini, I don't know, adventure. I want to get out of my boring university town. And up until now, instead of the usual um, student jobs that you might imagine, you know, working in a shop or uh, a cafe, I play my violin on the streets for money. And it works quite well. You know, people toss me coins, and it adds up. And so I decide, why not try this in another city? So I choose Halifax, which is on the east coast of Canada. It's a harbor town. It's quaint. There's lots of tourists. I'm going to give it a go. So I take off to Halifax. I arrive in uh, early July. And I haven't figured out where I'm going to live. I haven't even thought of any of that. I just check into the uh, youth hostel there. And so I'm sharing a room with seven other women Uh, from all around the world. And my first few nights in Halifax are sleepless. Uh, And it's not because of the snoring, though there is a lot of snoring and it is problematic. It's more because I'm suddenly terrified. I'm terrified because now there's nothing between me and the rest of the world anymore. And I realize that this little adventure of mine, I mean, so many things could happen. It could end up being like a really expensive disaster Or, you know, it it could be much, much worse. Terrible things happen. And so I'm fretting all night long. And in the mornings, I spend a few hours looking for a place to live. And in the afternoon, I play my violin on street corners. So I'm on my third day in Halifax. I'm playing on a street corner when this man stops to listen. He's smiling at me. And I get this prickle of discomfort. It's that feeling when you know you know someone, but you don't know how you know them. And I'm just scanning his face. Uh, He's got blonde hair and these icy blue eyes and a kind smile and can't put my finger on it. Is it 
my university? Is it my hometown? I'm not sure. Um, and when I finished the piece, uh, he turns to me and he says, that was lovely. Thank you. British. The only British people I know are like actors on TV. Then it hits me. As you wish. As you wish. As you wish. It's Wesley from Princess Bride. I can't <laughs> oh, no! believe it. And Wesley says to me that he wants to hire me to play for the cast and crew. He's filming in the area. He wants to hire me to play for the cast and crew tonight over dinner. And he hands me this sheet of paper with all these set details and it's got the address. I say, of course I'll play. And he says, um, excellent. Could you be there by eight? And I say, yeah, of course. And he says, do you have a, a phone number just in case? And I just, I can't believe this. Wesley from Princess Bride is asking me for my phone number. And I say, uh, actually, no, I don't have a phone. <laughs> I don't even have an address right now, come to think of it. And I see his bright blue eyes um, shift to these dark pools of empathy. You might say the color of the sea after a storm. And he says, oh, my poor darling. And he brings me into a hug. And as my face is gently resting upon Wesley's shoulder, I realize that, oh, no, he thinks I'm homeless. Oh, shit. <laughs> Wesley squeezes my shoulder and he says, Good luck, my dear. I shall see you tonight. And then he just disappears up the sidewalk. And I'm just sort of standing there stunned. And I look down at the paper he gave me. And I see the address. And shit, the address is not in town. It's out of town, not just out of town. It's across the harbor and five kilometers out of town, which is like three miles, I think. And I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't have a car. And that's when I noticed this guy standing there. Uh, he's got uh, a navy blue t-shirt and a baseball cap. And he says to me, hey, was that Carrie Elwes? And I say, uh, yeah, it was. And he says, oh, man, I heard he was in town. He's, uh, he's filming a, a movie on Ted Bundy. Uh, what did he say to you? Uh, well, he wants me to play uh, for the cast and crew tonight at 8 o'clock. But I have no idea how I'm going to get there. It's across the harbor and out of town. And the guy says, oh, buddy, I'll get you there. I've got a car. And I'm like, really? For real? And he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll pick you up at the Dartmouth Harbor at 730. No problem. I'll get you there, buddy. Just look for the red car. So, okay, okay. I know I know how this seems, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a young woman, like 22-year-old woman child. And I've just accepted a ride to the set of a film on Ted Bundy from a complete stranger who could, in fact, be a cold-blooded murderer himself. But this idea of disappointing Wesley, it's, no, it's, it's unbearable. It's unthinkable. It's, it's inconceivable. <laughs> <laughs> so at 7 o'clock, I board the ferry towards Dartmouth. And I am very nervous. No, I'm nervous, yes, I'm nervous to take a ride from a complete stranger, but I'm even more nervous that this complete stranger is not going to show up. So I arrive at the ferry terminal, and I look around, and there's a red car. He is right there, and I see that he's not alone. There's someone in the passenger seat, and as I get closer, I see it's a beautiful woman with long dark hair and uh, bright red lipstick, and she's smiling and waving to me. So I get in the car, and the guy's like, hey, buddy, come on in. This is my wife, Sarah. Uh, Sarah brought you some clothes in case you wanted to, you know, get dressed up for the big performance. And I'm a little taken aback. I mean, 
he's he's assuming that I I wouldn't be prepared for this very important Hollywood gig. But he's completely right. I, I hadn't given my wardrobe a single thought. And in fact, I'm dressed much like a farmhand. I've got like tattered jeans and a tattered gray sweater. Um, and so I'm actually really grateful that he thought to bring me these like clothes. And so there's a shopping bag of clothes beside me and I'm rooting through them. But I quickly see that these clothes, I there's no way I can pull this off. It's like uh, sequin blouses, mini skirts, high heels, princess dresses. No, I, I can't do it. Uh, I'll have to go dressed as a farm boy. <laughs> so my new buddies, they drive me all the way to the set. And uh, they drop me off, and I thank them very much for the ride and for the clothes. And dressed as a farm boy, I proceed uh, to... I'm veering in and out of all these trailers, and then I find this big white tent. And there's people filing in with uh, plates of food. I hear my name, and there's Wesley coming towards me. He brings me into a big hug and then he leads me by the hand to the front of the tent where I'm to play and then he winks at me and he says we'll find you something to eat after and I'm like oh shit he thinks I'm homeless and I'm starving <laughs> I'm like, I should probably clear this whole thing up right now but I'm so deep into it and I'm already dressed for the role so I just smile and he goes um to eat with the cast and crew and I get my violin out and I proceed to play through my classical repertoire and I'm throwing in the odd jig and reel for maritime flavor. And there's, there's a lot of people, there's like a hundred cast and crew members and they're, it's boisterous. They're laughing, they're talking, but after every piece they stop and they applaud and they cheer and it's just amazing. And after an hour, they're filing out, dinner's over. Wesley comes over, he slips a hundred dollar bill in my hand and then, I've never had a $100 bill. I didn't even know they existed. But here, here's one in my hand. And, and then he brings me over to, uh, to the producer, Greg. And he says, you're in good hands with my friend Greg. I must go at once. And then he's just gone. Um, and I'm left with Greg, the producer. And Greg puts a, a hand on my shoulder. And he says, I hear you're having a rough time. I'm like, oh, God, no. He told Greg that I'm homeless. And Greg says, there's no need to be ashamed. We've all struggled, particularly in our youth. And then he brings me over to the catering truck and he yells up to the server, load up this young lady's plate, she's starving. <laughs> and so the server just proceeds to load, like makes up this massive plate of like lasagna and roasted vegetables, salad, pickles, peanuts, everything. And to be honest, I'm not even that hungry. But to make it worse, I mean, I'm not a very fast eater. And I can't eat a lot in one sitting. And now I'm sitting across from a Hollywood producer who's watching me eat this massive plate of food that I feel obligated to eat because he thinks I'm homeless and starving. And he's trying to take care of me. And I, I don't know, I, I want to let him. So I start to chew. And uh, luckily, this guy can talk a lot. So he's, you know, he's talking about... Um, his twin grandsons and his summer home and all the movies he's ever produced. And that gives me time to eat all this food. It takes over an hour, but I finally finish. And uh, Greg calls me a chauffeur. So I'm being chauffeured home to my youth hostel. And as we cross the bridge over the harbor, I look out the window and I catch a glimpse of the, the lights just shimmering in the water. And I just think... You know, I've been here for three days, and already I've 
rested my head upon Wesley's shoulder. I've played for the cast and crew of a Hollywood film. I have a full stomach. I'm being chauffeured home. I have a hundred dollars in the pocket of my tattered jeans. You know, maybe I can trust the world after all to take care of me. You know, I, I don't know where I'm going to live this summer. I don't know what I'm going to do after I graduate, but I'm starting to feel a lot more all right with all these question marks. That's my story. Oh, <laughs> oh good story, Nisha. Awesome. <laughs> I can see why you called it inconceivable. I sort of picked up where that theme came in. Yeah. There, yeah. You that in. Was, was Wesley really like that? Is that really how he talked? No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of playing with the character, and but he was extremely charming, and he did have a British accent, but he, he wasn't so much like I must go at once. He was probably like, uh, I have to get going, you know. And I've seen that. Uh, I've I've watched that movie recently, and so that character's blending with the real person. And, and so my memories, so he's becoming more and more this masked man, as opposed to like the guy he actually was. So in my, me- in my memory, he's kind of getting corrupted. So in a way, yes, in my mind and in my memory, he's like, good luck, my darling. I shall see you tonight. Yeah, but he was like so, so, so nice and so charming. That is nice to hear. Yeah. It's so wonderful to travel when you're... When you're in your 20s and you're female and people are nice to you and yeah. every, everybody wants to help you and talk to you and then you turn 30 and none of that happens anymore and you're like, what what happened? Yeah. <laughs> At least you had it for a while. No one ever wanted to talk to me, so. Aww. Aww. I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> well, Simon, <laughs> Simon wanted to talk to me for a little Simon while. Simon was into but, it, yeah. yeah he but, was interested. Uh, so was uh, Inside Edition and Nightline. There you go. Yeah, yeah, true. That's a great story. Yeah, I think that was a great story. All right, Julie, you want to bring it right. home? The caboose? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a couple of years ago, I fell in love with a gorgeous ER doctor that I met on a sketchy website called the Massage Exchange. Dr. Jim... <laughs> Dr. Jim came all the way from Sacramento, an hour and a half drive away to my house in Oakland, and gave me a massage. And it was the most incredible massage. It was like the best massage I've ever had because Dr. Jim knew anatomy. He knew every Latin name for the muscles in my body. He knew exactly what a good massage should feel like because he was a wealthy professional and had lots of expensive massages himself. And after it was over, well, (laughs) I should, I'll I'll admit that it was so good that I probably came on the massage table for like (laughs) eight minutes, maybe nine minutes. And after it was over, we went out to my living room and sat on my couch and I fired up a joint And he smoked a little of my joint with me, and I got up the courage to ask him, are you cheating on anybody to be here with me today? And I have to tell you that I was on the Massage Exchange website because I was a stoner, and I didn't want to have a traditional date where you make small talk. I just wanted to be touched. And so I figured that being on the Massage Exchange, I would meet guys who liked touch and maybe who are even good at touch. And I thought 
if I go and get, get enough massages with these guys, I'll find one that really likes me, and that's how I'll find my boyfriend. <laughs> so when Dr. Jim said that he was actually divorced, I was like, oh, my God. Not only was he not cheating on anyone to be with me, but he wasn't even married. He was available. He was a unicorn. <laughs> I mean, he was gorgeous. He had the face of like a model or a movie star, and he had the body of an Adonis, and he was so kind and so nice and so smart, and he thought I was funny, and he laughed at my jokes, and he even shared some of my joint with me. And so then he left and went back to Sacramento, and I was determined to make him fall in love with me. And so I thought the way I'm going to make him fall in love with me is to take very sexy selfies of myself in black lingerie and send them to him and make a mixtape of the most romantic and sexually suggestive music I could find. And he liked, he liked the selfies all right. And so I kept sending them to him. And he came over one more time and it was the same. It was amazing. It was terrific. And we made plans to go to Esalen. Esalen, where I've never been before, which is a spa. And it's like a meditation center spa with hot tubs in every room open to the stars. And it's perched on the bluffs overlooking the Pacific Ocean near Big Sur in, in California. And I had never been there. And I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. Dr. Jim is going to take me to Esalen. And then I began to have doubts because I thought, what would a gorgeous ER doctor, a professional, well off and accomplished, want to, want to do with a, a quirky artist stoner like me? And I was a, a stoner. I smoked weed every day. I grew weed in the backyard, which I sold to my friends. And I made edibles out of the weed, and I sold that too. And so in January, a few weeks before our Esalen trip, I was in the post office trying to mail a package of edibles to Minnesota. <laughs> and I'm in the old Oakland post office with marble floors and big floor-to-ceiling windows, and it's very old-fashioned. You have to go in one side and exit the other side. And I successfully mail the edibles, but I don't make it out of the post office because there's a lot of people. It's January 2nd. People are returning things or what have you. And they're all corralled by these velvet ropes, like the kind you would see in a movie theater. And I can't find where the exit is. And I turn around and I think, I'll just go back the way I, I came, but it's all blocked by velvet ropes. And I think, ah, there's a piece over there that's, that's just cordoning off a little section and nobody's waiting there. And I'll just run and jump over it. And so I start trotting up towards the velvet rope and I leap into the air and I'm not a gymnast. I'm an idiot. And I... <laughs> successfully clear the rope, but I land on one leg and I land funny and I fall down and I stand up immediately because I'm really embarrassed and my knee is not there. I oh. fall down again 
and I can't walk. And they call the ambulance and they take me off to the emergency room. Not the emergency room in Sacramento where Dr. Jim works, but the one in Oakland. And they take x-rays and they give me the bad news. I have broken a little bit off my leg and I will need to heal for six weeks. So I get home and I'm lying on the couch with my leg in a big brace and I, I call Dr. Jim to tell him that I won't be able to go to Esalen with him. And he's driving, so he says he'll call me back. And he doesn't call me back. And the next day he texts me and I think, okay, well, he's a doctor, he'll be sympathetic. And he is sympathetic, but there's longer and longer spaces between his replies to my texts. And after a week, I get like a long text letter from him saying that while he'll never forget me, he, um, he really wants to focus on a relationship closer to home. And he's met someone in Sacramento where he lives. And in order to focus on that, he has to break up with me. And he's so nice about it. I can't even be mad at him. So I never get to make Dr. Jim fall in love with me. I never get to Esalen. And if you're looking for me on the massage exchange, I'm not on there anymore because when I quit smoking weed, I realized that massage exchange is a terrible place to try to find a boyfriend. (laughs) 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 But... My leg is all better now, and my knee is all better, and I still hope to find love someday. Is, is there still really a massage exchange? Like, I had never... Yeah. Is that really a thing? That's my question as, as well. It's like my immediate follow-up question. Is this a thing? <laughs> it's a thing. Okay. It is definitely a thing. And so do you like you pick some other person of the gender you like and then it just sort of agreed that you'll each give each other a massage? Actually, I was described on the site as just a practice body. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the massage. Just a receiver. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm just a receiver. Feels like massage exchange is not really the right name then, right? Like I like <laughs> yeah. one way massage. <laughs> Well, wow. it was a lot of fun when it la- while it lasted. It was a lot of fun, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right now, seven people are Googling massage exchange. Exactly. I wonder if they guys, can all hook up. <laughs> I'll just tell you that most of the men on there are not very good at massages, and mm. all of them, except for the occasional unicorn, are cheating on their wives and girlfriends. Mm. Good to know. Sorry, massage exchange. <laughs> not a not a glowing review. Have you tried stalking Dr. Jim online? I mean, I wouldn't do that. I feel like. Do you, do you want me to do it? <laughs> no, no, I do not want you to do it. We had such a blissful little time, and this is not in the story. Maybe it should be in the story, but do you want to hear this addendum to the story? Absolutely. Bring it. <laughs> so. I broke my leg in January and it healed in six weeks. So by my birthday, March 11th, Dr. Jim and I were still in contact. And instead of going to Esalen, he picked a spa in Calistoga. 
and he said he wanted to do ecstasy. So I got a hold of some ecstasy, some molly, as the kids call it, and brought it with us. And I, at the time, I was still a huge stoner, so I brought a ton of weed as well. And I think everybody who saw me with Dr. Jim at this fancy spa in Calistoga <laughs> were like, okay, this is an odd couple because I was like ready for action and partying and Dr. Jim is this like, you know, well put together professional looking guy. And you were, we you were the farmhand to his. <laughs> I was the slutty farmhand. Okay. <laughs> I think the braless crop top may have tipped people off. Oh, my. And, <laughs> and so we did the E, and I did a bunch of weed, and uh, we got room service at like 3 in the morning, and I ate it really fast. And Nisha, you might know this feeling, but on a completely empty stomach, and you chunk a lot of food down there, and your stomach's not ready to receive it, you might you might throw it up again. And so that's what I did. And he was oh, horrified. I, oh, no. I threw up all of the penne and tomato sauce into the toilet. And he was horrified. He thought I was probably ODing or, you know, going to die on him. <laughs> and I was fine, though. And But I think after that, like, he was like, hmm, what am I doing with this crazy chick? <laughs> <laughs> that's an excellent addition. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that involves, yeah, vomiting up all your penne, that's a, that's a story edition right there. Yeah. But I'm, I'm still gl- grateful for the experience because it was a lot of fun with him, and I wish him well. He was, it was the nicest breakup text I've ever gotten. That's saying something. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if he needs a reference, you know, for you, maybe you can like, write a reference. Like, yeah, it didn't work out, but the best breakup text ever. So, thumbs up for Dr. Tim. That should be a thing, like references for breakups. Well, I'm really glad that I didn't end up dating any of the doctors from the massage exchange because Except Dr. Jim. Well, I mean, seriously dating because of COVID, you know, you want to be connected to an ER doctor, it'd be devastating. You wouldn't know if they were going to get sick or not. I'm dating a doctor. Guys, I'm you dating are? a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's so funny? Our first night together, I threw up. <laughs> I knew there's a reason I liked you, Nisha. I don't know what happened. I was at a residency in Vermont, and there was a flu going around, and he came to see me, and that night I was like, uh-oh, I think I have that stomach bug. It was very unromantic. Are you still dating him? Yeah. I'm in his house right now. Um, <laughs> I feel, though I do feel that doctors are a little more at ease with vomit, so he's just like, oh, well, you're vomiting. That's it's fine. <laughs> You know? Right. <laughs> You'll live. Well, it sounds like doctors make you vomit. Um, that's what I take out of that. <laughs> Although I wonder if maybe Dr. Jim, if he was so freaked out by the vomit, maybe he was, you know, not really much of, like, maybe he was a podiatrist or something. Like, was he, he was, he was like an real... ER doctor. He had the best bedside manner. <laughs> he, maybe he was a he chiropractor. Said, he was, <laughs> and he was an ER doctor. God, he might hear this someday, you guys. He be might quiet. be one of the seven. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Dr. Jim and his six friends, I apologize. <laughs> I accept your medical credentials. All right. Should we call it? 
I guess uh, that's a wrap. It's over. <laughs> that is a wrap. It is over. That's it. Thank you very much, Nisha, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Nisha, tell us where we can find out more about you and your stories. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, if you go to my website, it's nishagoldman.com. Uh, you can find some of my stories, and I'm going to be releasing my solo show on there soon, within the month. I'm in the filming a stage. The- so, yeah, that'd be Ooh, great. Oh, is this a new solo show? Or is a this new the solo one show. From- yep, a new one. Oh. So I'm in oh, rehearsal Oh, how exciting. Now. What's and, it called? You know, uh, I've, I have had so many titles, and it's, titles are very difficult for me, but what I think it is called is All Right, and then the subtitle is Solving the Problem of Living. I like it. That's, that's what that's we're good. for now. Yeah. Living is sure a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> I don't know if I've solved that problem, but that was my intention with the show. <laughs> when you solve that problem, pass it on to this one. It'll be up on my website. You just have to check it out within the month. I will put a link to your website in the show notes so awesome. everyone can find it there. Look there for NishaColeman.com. Yay. Awesome. Well, it was so great having you, Nisha. And, and Mike, it was so great hearing your your fake cat story. <laughs> A lot of fun, you guys. It was a real yeah. cat. It just wasn't hyperallergenic. I mean, I never got it. was imaginary. But all right, all right, it was a fake cat. The imaginary cat. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and listeners, even though we're ending and we haven't finished the ending of our show yet, if you liked our show, will you please go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever, and write us a review and leave us leave us a rating? We would love that. We would love to get some reviews up there that we can read live on the podcast and maybe get a dozen more listeners. <laughs> or maybe we won't read them. It depends how entertaining they are. But thank you. Good point. Please do leave us a review. Hopefully positive. We'll see you next time. Thanks, all. That's a wrap. It's over. Bye. Bye. It's over. Bye. Bye.